Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Third time's a charm. This is our third time starting this. Today, we're going to be talking about fear of heights, which is actually one of my very intense fears. I feel weak in the knees even thinking about some of the things we're going to talk about today. Are you afraid of heights? No, not at all. Well, look at you. I love crazy rides. I love uh, the first time we went to the Stratosphere. Now it's called the Strat in Vegas. Oh. They were offering for people to be able to jump off of it, like to make reservations. And I was like, who's doing this with me? And no one would do it with me. So I was like, I don't want to go alone. But I did do all the crazy rides that throw you off the side of it. If you aren't a fear of heights, then why am I the one that jumped off the cliff in Mexico? It's not the heights. Remember, the water is what upset me. The fact that there were animals in it? Creatures? Critters? Yeah, I had to wait a moment and look at my surroundings before entering the water at any time, if you remember. I do remember. That I would not have the chance to see if there's like a fish next to me. Don't worry, they don't want to be next to you. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Just splashing yeah, on in. Yeah, or like if something was in the mud underneath, oh, the height was fine. Oh, I mean, like the idea of like when your feet touch mud in water versus sand, I don't like that sensation at all. That's mm-hmm. a that's a no, no, no. See, that's my fear is mud. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get weak in the knees, uncomfortable. Like I can't even like if we're at a restaurant where they have a second floor and they want to sit us near where you can look over, I get dizzy. Really? That's how much of a little bitch I am about it. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm uncomfortable all the way around. Look, if you got a, like a fucking big house and I look onto your first floor from your second, I'm dizzy. Wild. So I've got a one floor house, baby. And a basement. You have stairs, ma'am. But I go down. Yeah, but you can look down from the first floor. But I'm going subterranean. Oh, my gosh. So where my goblin hole is. Subterranean is <laughs> where I live. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. But so, you know, as we do, when we're considering what kind of episodes we want to do, we think about what freaks us out. So we landed on falls. And we're going to talk about three kind of categories today. But we're going to start with free falls. And... Did I define this in our outline? No, I didn't. But when you think free fall, I want you to think like you're falling from someplace very high and there's nothing between you and the ground, except perhaps like a tree or like a building that's like many feet away. But free fall, you're just falling through the air, which sounds fucking terrifying. (laughs) Do you do well on rides with that sensation? Or is that a no-no too? I mean, it's been a long time since I've done it, but I don't love rides that go up high. I just, I get this like, well, I mean, the falling. Oh, no, I don't like that. I'm not like, oh, yay, I had a good time. I'm like, oh, I survived. That's the feeling that I have is I'm like, oh, I survived. Not let's do it again. That was a fun time. I'm like, I went to a theme park with you knowing that you would expect me to go on rides with you. Therefore, I must do this once. I will do this once. Like when we went to Halloween Horror Nights the last time with Ben's mom, there was some ride that was like a high boy. And I was like, no, you guys go have a great time. I'm going to stand here and hold everyone's accoutrement and just like love my life and not feel like I'm going to die. It's fair. That was a long way of saying literally fuck no. Okay, I'll go alone. I get it. Sounds good to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Lindsay my coat rack. Perfect. Done and done. (laughs) So let's talk about surviving a big fall. And there's not too much scientifically proven information on how to survive a free fall because there's not an ethical way to test theories, which I guess makes sense. Yeah. An associate professor of physics at Southeastern Louisiana State, Rhett Elaine, has a few suggestions to increase your odds of survival. So take notes. The smaller you are, the slower you fall because a person's mass determines their gravitational force. Okay, okay. When I first read this, I was a little confused because I kept going back to high school physics class. And what I kept thinking about is different weights falling at the same speed, but I wasn't considering in my head different sized objects because the different masses will have a different gravitational force. Oh, yeah. Think about it this way. If you are something big, like a human, for example, and you fall a thousand feet, you will likely not survive. But how many times have you seen something like a bug fall a proportional distance and they just shake it off and they're fine? Yeah, that's fair. Part of that is because they're small. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So the surface area of a larger person creates more resistance, but it doesn't cancel out the increased gravitational force. All I could think was, I'm fucked. Like, (laughs) high mass, low amount of surface because I'm short. Just, yeah. Now, another tip. Seems very convenient. (laughs) But landing on something soft will help. Obviously. Okay. Okay. If the surface you initially fall on has additional stopping distance, it stops gravitational force that you feel. Professor Elaine notes that if you hit a tree with lots of branches, they will slow you down and lessen the gravitational force. Huh. Doesn't seem very soft, but... It doesn't seem very soft, but (laughs) if you also think about, like, say you were falling onto, like, snow... Mm-hmm. right like that's going to be softer and it's not that you're not necessarily going to go through it it's just that you're going to go through a little bit slower because something's stopping you from going as fast yeah like or with less force or like if you think about i don't know insert sci-fi movie where a person is falling from a building and then they stop midway like three feet off the ground and then they fall that three foot fall doesn't kill them because it stopped the gravitational force and it restarted at that three foot fall mm-hmm Science. Gravitational scientists. Science. We're sciencing hard today. Sciencing hard. Hopefully well. (laughs) Hopefully well. So going back to it, Professor Elaine also said if you go into water long ways, it will help as well. So think of feet first, which, you know, makes sense. At first, my mind went to high divers and how they go technically, I guess, hands first, but head first. You know, but they are professionally trained for years and years and years to even do that because I guess either way, people can get knocked out, which is very scary. You know, this is, I think, a a fundamental difference in my logic is that as an indoor kid and a gal that's not sporty, I just do not see the purpose of engaging in behaviors that could kill me or injure me or maim my body in some way. Ben has tried to get me to play rugby before, and I'm like, oh, see, I don't want to hurt myself. When I was in gym class and I would be playing volleyball and people would be diving to get the ball, and I'm like, why would I hit the ground for that ball? What has that ball ever done for me? You know, I'm not going to risk myself for that. Similarly, like with a high dive. That is fair. I think it would be a no. In addition to my fear of heights, I think it would be a no. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. 
again, it's very important if you do hit water, although it is slowing down your gravitational force, landing properly and going in the right way is necessary because hitting the water has a variety of things that could hurt you, like knocking you out, you could break something, you could hit something else. Well, and if you get knocked out when you're in water, you're then unconscious in water, so you will drown. Yeah. And I feel like that's like, oh, no. No, it doesn't sound great. You survive one part just to have this next thing get you, which just feels terribly unfair. Yes. So you can also try to grab something because anything you grab can slow you down. And obviously, try your best not to land on your head. All wise tips. Although I feel like if you do accidentally fall, you're not going to remember any of this. I mean, probably not, but perhaps some of it will stick into your head. When we get to our next category, I feel like there's very particular tips and those I would be more likely to remember because it's like so bizarre that I would never think to do that unless someone told me to. That's fair. And I'm like, now I have to have a drill if I'm at a lake. No, there's weird things that stay in your head. Do you ever think about if your car falls into water? The idea of like what you need to do first? Oh, yeah. I've got like a whole plan of attack. You know what I mean? Like you've got to. Yeah. But like that's something that I didn't think would stick in my head. And now every time I'm like, oh, what what do you do again? What are you supposed to do first? Oh, this. I mean, like I do think that it is a worthy endeavor to like think about reasonable encounters that you might have that you could prepare for. Like everyone should have a plan if their house catches on fire. Like how are they going to gather the other people and animals in their home in the most safe way based on where that fire is, if it's in one floor or one side of the house versus the other? Like, do you guys have tornadoes there? Um, Yes and no. Like have they happened in the past? Yes, they have. But is it very common? No. Well, I know that like here it's you know, not the most frequent, but there's been tornado warnings and tornado Mm -hmm. watches. And I should probably know the difference between the two, but it's just failing my brain right now. But one of them happened when we had five cats and a dog and I was working remotely. So I was home and I was like, I have to get all of these creatures into the basement now. And luckily, like all of our babies are like, please give me a treat, whatever it takes. So I just like shook the temptations and they were like, here we come. And so even Moo was like, well, if they're getting it, I want it, you know, like a little brat. And so that's how I got them down. But it was like, oh, gosh, I definitely need to think about if I'm going to have this many animals. How do I save everyone in these situations? That's fair. But anywho, this next one, I don't know if there's no preparing. So there's a person who has the Guinness World Record for the longest survived fall. And that's Vesna Vilovic. And she was just 23 years old when she fell 33,333 feet. Nope. And first off, I just want to point out what an interesting number. Yeah. And how precise. And you're going to hear just like a series of coincidences and honestly, pure fucking luck. Other than the fact that she was in a plane where this happened. But the fact that she survived is like, good luck, good luck, good luck. Like just random occurrence that happened to save her. So she was working as a flight attendant and she actually wasn't even supposed to be working on the flight that went down. There was a confusion between her and someone else's names because they were similar. And so they accidentally had her come in instead of the person who was supposed to be there. So they're a little bit over 45 minutes into their flight and there was an explosion in the luggage department of the aircraft. So of course, we're like, what is this explosion? It was a suitcase bomb. 
And there was actually another suitcase bomb that same day that went off and it exploded on a train that was traveling from Vienna. And a Swedish newspaper reported that a Croatian nationalist had called them to take credit for bringing down the flight and that train. And although arrests were never made, the Yugoslav authority believed that the bombing of the plane and train were from an ultra-nationalist group called the Ustash. I just thought that was very interesting because I feel like we're talking 50 plus years ago. Yeah. And so this happened in 1950. And when I think about planes and terrorists, that seems like a contemporary threat, not something that was happening in 1950. Yeah. Which is what, almost 75 years ago? Like, woof. But so getting back to the plane itself, the explosion caused the aircraft to break into three pieces. And it's theorized that the passengers and other crew members on the plane were all sucked out when the plane depressurized and that they froze to death when they were pulled out. That's so scary. Terrifying. Yeah. So when the explosion caused the plane to break into three pieces, the force of that pinned Vesna underneath a food cart at the end of the main body. So if you're thinking of like an airplane, you think of the aisle. She was right at the end of the aisle in the back when she was pinned. And the part of the plane that she was on ultimately landed in a wooded area that was in a thick layer of snow. And the angle of its crash helped Vesna survive. So she was in the right place in the right part of the plane that fell in the right way at the right angle on the right surface. How incredibly lucky for her. Yes. And then on top of that, when this happened, Vesna had low blood pressure. So when the cabin depressurized, she passed out. Fair. And I thought this was really interesting, but apparently like her heart would have exploded upon impact if she had had higher blood pressure. The fact that she had the quote unquote right blood pressure at that particular moment in time, because she probably like fainted when the scary thing happened, right, which was the plane's explosion, is just like, what a series of events to be in the right place at the right time. Yes. I mean, not in the right place at the right time because she was on a plane that exploded, but the sheer coincidences that led to her survival. Right. Even that someone could survive that is wild. Yeah, could survive. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's also she's almost 75 years later, still the record holder for the highest fall, Mm -hmm. because that is an incredible distance. It's obviously very rare to have all of those line up in the particular way that it needed to be to have someone survive. So it's probably not really possible to come up again unless a crazy... String of coincidences were to happen again. Yeah. So, of course, like we said, she was the only survivor from the explosion. Unfortunately, 27 people died in the crash. A man named Bruno heard screaming from inside the wreckage and administered first aid to her until first responders were able to come. Bruno happened to be a World War II medic, so his medical training is likely another reason why she survived. Oh my gosh, so many things just lined up for her. She was meant to live. Yeah. So... Vesna spent almost 17 months in the hospital. That's a long time, over a year. Mm -hmm. This includes the 27-day coma that she was in. She had broken several bones, including her legs and three broken vertebrae. She had also fractured her skull and pelvis, and she was temporarily paralyzed below the waist. Vesna did not remember the details from the crash or the flight, which I guess, like, that might be a good thing. Because can you imagine, like, reliving that all the time? She only remembers boarding the plane. Like, that's the last thing she remembers. I think I would be fine with that. I would prefer it. Yeah. But it makes sense if she passed out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Vesna was in a coma for the first few days after the crash. And 
Luckily, 10 months later, as she was recovering, she was able to walk again. So the black box from the airplane was never recovered. And there are some alternate theories as to what happened. Some people, including a couple journalists, think that it was a cover-up by communists to hide that they had mistakenly shot down the plane. There are also reports from witnesses who said that they saw a second plane and that they saw the plane that broke up below the clouds before it blew up. Interesting. Some people say that her fall was only 2,600 feet because the aircraft broke up at a lower altitude. I think either way, she gets this. I think it counts. Yeah. Per this theory, they think that the plane descended rapidly because of the emergency situation, which, I mean, it it does make sense. But again, I think she gets all those feet. I also feel like, from what it sounds like, there was an explosion that tore the plane apart. I don't think that there was an option or a time where they could go down. Like, it sounds like if it went down because of an explosion, it just simply was three parts. Right. In seconds. Yeah. Yeah. One of the journalists who originally covered this said that when it descended, it did so over a sensitive military area. In particular, it speculated that it was close to a nuclear weapons storage facility. So let's move on to waterfalls. (sighs) I really don't think of it as scary, but like, I guess standing near one and watching everything go over the top would be unsettling in a way. I'll also say that survivor stories for people who go over waterfalls are few and farther in between. Not that, you know, plane crash victims are often living, but I think that when we started research, we expected to see more survivor stories than there are. And there are just some like really, really heartbreaking stories recently about people who have died. Like they're pretty recent, but in case you haven't noticed, the theme of today is people who survived massive falls because the stories are so often the opposite. Yeah. So we're talking about a scary thing, but with happy endings, which we don't do very often. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk first about Heather Friesen. And in 2016, Heather Friesen survived a 50 foot fall from a waterfall. She was hiking on the Kau Crater Trail in Honolulu, and Heather turned on her GoPro as she approached one of the waterfalls on the trail. She stepped too close to the waterfall and slipped. She tried to grab onto a ridge, but unfortunately couldn't get a good grasp on it. Heather said that she thought of her boyfriend, her family, and volleyball as she fell, because she was a volleyball player. Luckily, another hiker saw her and was able to contact a rescue team. After she was taken to the hospital, via airlift, she was treated for a number of things, including 10 ribs that were broken, a fractured shoulder blade, and a collapsed left lung. Brutal. That's a lot for one person to go through. I think especially too, like when you think of someone falling through water, I don't think I would expect that many injuries. Like it makes sense for a fall, but I think that, you know, you think of when you're in like a pool, how you feel weightless. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think it occurred to me like that it would be broken everything. I think I would assume it would have been like drowning or blunt force trauma. That's what people would suffer more than broken parts of their body. I just think of all the rocks and like, you Mm. know, the waterfall has to go over something. Yeah. That stresses me out there. So Heather said that it didn't occur to her that she would die, although she thought her friends were worried that she would die. So from her perspective, she was like, I'm going to be totally fine. But everyone was very worried for her. Fair. Absolutely. I feel like if I saw someone who I cared about in the hospital with these kinds of injuries, I would be fretful. Yes. Yes. So amazingly, Heather has made a full recovery and says that she can even play volleyball pain-free. That's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about if you were in a situation where you were going over a waterfall, 
how you survive. And this is what we were talking about earlier, where it's such a specific set of instructions. I looked at a few different articles, and these are kind of some of the common things that I saw. But it's interesting just how specific some of them are. So this feels pretty reasonable. But before you go over the edge, take as big of a breath as you can. Okay, that makes sense. Try to go down feet first. And if that's not possible, just try to not lead with your head. Also makes sense. And so, okay, if you're driving, don't do this. But if you aren't driving, do this with me. Okay, I'm going to do it too. So if I sound like I'm moving around, it's because I am. You're going to take one hand and you're going to put it over your head, touching your other ear, the ear on the opposite side. Amanda, you're not doing it. Do it. Okay, okay. Okay. Then I can't do this next part because then you won't be able to hear me. But Amanda can, so I'm going to make her do it. You're going to take your other arm and it's going to go across your face. But before you do that, you're going to take a big breath and you're going to seal your lips as tight as you fucking can. So, Amanda, please. (laughs) And then you're going to put your arm over and you're going to try to create a seal for your nose and your mouth. And this way, you're blocking water getting in because as you go down, the pressure of the water, right, hitting, that's one of the ways that, you know, people get hurt. That's the one of the very specific ways <laughs> that I would never occur to me to do that particular combination of movements, but it makes a lot of sense. And so this next part's interesting as well. You also want to close your eyes. But the other kind of method to helping you survive is that you want to keep your feet and legs together and you want to tense your body to keep yourself as straight as possible. That's interesting. Which I would think is interesting because typically you want to like loosen your body, like especially if you're ever about to get into a car accident, you should try to like go a little bit looser so that you aren't causing as much damage because you're not rigid. Yeah. You're kind of moving with it, if you will. But for this, you want to keep yourself as straight as possible and you want to tense all your stuff together. And I would think that might be so that you're absorbing the impact fully and it's kind of going throughout your body versus like just hitting a leg or just hitting like an arm first. I don't know. That's just my theory. And then the last part, again, I would have never even considered I would have been like, I'm underwater. Come up. Once you you hit the bottom part of the waterfall, don't come up immediately. Swim away. Well, that makes sense. Because you don't want the force of that water hitting your head. Yeah, it'll just keep you under and then you'll probably drown. Yeah. So a very specific set of instructions. But I thought that was interesting when in terms, especially like with the arm over your face, it would have never occurred to me. No. Mm -mm. So we're going to get to our last category of falls today. And this is one that I am particularly traumatized by. And that's elevators. And when we're done, I'll tell you about when I was stuck in an elevator. Oh, God. Can I just say yesterday I was in an an outdoor elevator Mm -hmm. with a group of children Nope. And we were walking on and, you know, Oliver's like, I want to press the button and we're sitting there. And one of them makes a joke like, oh, it would be such a bummer if we got stuck in here and the fire department would have to come save us. And I thought about it. and I'm like, it's 119 degrees out. We would be dead before the fire department got here. Oh, God. And it made me uncomfortable. As it should, because that's just too fucking hot. It's not habitable. It is not. No. Okay. So on July 28th of 1945, Betty Lou Oliver arrived to the Empire State Building for her very last day on the job as an elevator operator. Unfortunately, this is also the day that a B-52 bomber crashed into the Empire State Building. By the way, this is in New York City, if you didn't know. This is actually the first time an airplane hit one of New York City's skyscrapers. And this was around the end of World War II. And the aircraft was shuttling servicemen to LaGuardia Airport in New York City. And they were flying from Massachusetts. 
The pilot was Captain William F. Smith, and he was relatively experienced. In his military career, he had successfully led dangerous missions in Europe during World War II. So by all means, a person who could fly from Massachusetts to LaGuardia. However, it was incredibly foggy out. And it was so foggy that when he called the control center at LaGuardia for permission to land, they denied him because they said there wasn't any visibility. But from what we understand, he attempted to land the plane anyway. While he was navigating his way to the airport, he was able to finally get some visibility. And that's when he realized that he was flying in between skyscrapers. And there wasn't enough time for him to ascend higher before he crashed into the Empire State Building, which in 1945 was the tallest building in the world. How scary. The crash into the building killed Captain Smith and two of his servicemen who were on board the plane, and 11 people who worked in the Empire State Building also died. And from all the accounts we saw, it was a pretty horrifying scene for the people who were inside the building and in the plane. One of the news articles published at the time described the scene like this. Three explosions were heard as the plane sheared through the stone exterior of the 102-story structure, which swayed like a tree in the wind. Flaming gasoline spread through the offices and corridors and down the elevator shafts. The screams of trapped persons, many badly burned, spread panic in the upper stories. That's horrific. Yes. And because, again, 102 stories and it hit around the 79th. So there's people who are up higher and they can hear what's going on. So there was broken glass and debris for five blocks surrounding the building. And when the plane hit, the engine of the plane flew forward and it was unclear at first what particular damage it created. Betty Lou was inside the elevator where she worked on the 80th floor when this happened. And the blast threw her out of the elevator so hard that she broke her back, neck, and pelvis. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So first responders were as quick to the scene as they could be. And when they looked at Betty, they were like, okay, she needs to go to the hospital right now. But they're on the 80th floor. So she has to go downstairs and they can't carry her down 80 flights of stairs. So they put her on the elevator to send her down to the ground floor. And that's where other members of their team would help transport her to the hospital. But what they didn't know was that when the engine flew forward, it struck the lifting cables of two of the elevators that were on the 79th floor. And it severely damaged those cables. So as soon as first responders put Betty on the elevator, those damaged cables completely snapped and the car went into rapid freefall and eventually crashed into the building's sub-basement. And this was about a thousand feet. That's insane. <sighs> and she's already has a broken back, neck and pelvis before this happens. Right. Oh my gosh. That is interesting, though, that they chose to take the elevator because from what I understand now, when the fire department rescues someone, they have to take the stairs, right? I would imagine that would be the case, right? Is that like they learned, oh, in an emergency, do not trust elevators. Also, because you don't know if the power is going to go out and you don't want to be stuck in it. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons, but especially because if there's something wrong with the building's structure, you don't want to trust the building's structure to save you. Right, right. Or anything mechanical, really. Mm -hmm. So Betty survived the crash. I still can't wrap my head around that. That's, yeah, again, so lucky to be able to walk away from this. One of the cables that had snapped had fallen to the bottom of the shaft, so it created a cushion of sorts to cushion or, you know, slow down the fall of the car. Betty had been cut out of the wreckage of the cable car, and it took her eight months to completely recover from her injuries, which 
still like being able to walk again, you know, after something so scary happening. And also like she survived that blast just to go onto an elevator that crashed like two times in a row. She survived. Right. When either one of those could kill someone. And she already hurt, did it again in a way. Mm hmm. So after she recovered, she moved to Fort Smith, Arizona with her husband, Oscar Lee. There's not too much known about her life after all of this, only that she and Oscar had a total of three children and seven grandchildren. Betty was 74 when she died on November 24th of 1999. And Betty still holds the spot for the Guinness Book of Records longest survived elevator fall. I don't know why, but this one gets me like in the feels. Yeah, I mean, all of them do, in a sense. Yeah. In different ways, because especially the two that were just working, you know, like they weren't even doing anything out of the norm. They were just at work and something bad happened. Yeah. Not that I don't feel for anyone falling off of a waterfall, but, you know, like they were just going to work. (laughs) Normal day. Especially it was Betty's last day. That too. That that hurts my soul. Like, fuck. Yeah. Well, it was her last day. And then for Vesna, she wasn't even supposed to be working. Yeah. Yeah. And as an interesting note, this crash led to a very important bit of legislation in the United States. And that's the Federal Torts Claim Act of 1946. And before this legislation, a U.S. citizen couldn't sue the federal government. But because of this, because it was a military aircraft that crashed into a building, who else would you sue if not the federal government? Yeah. So some of the families settled before litigation was filed, but some families initiated litigation. And it was that litigation that led to this being passed. And now we, a person can sue the U.S. government because you should be able to if they're at fault. But I just That's thought right. that was really interesting. Perhaps it I'm is, just a yeah. nerd. No. No, it nerd. is interesting. <laughs> You're also kind of a nerd, but, you know. (laughs) It's okay. So let's talk about how to survive an elevator fall. Because I don't know about you, but I always think of how high am I? And, you know, like, how low am I going in this building? And how fast does it go? As a person who is afraid of heights, yes, I am. (laughs) Yes, I am worried about how high I am at any given point. It's more like I've had elevators stop randomly and just malfunction. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, oh, great. And I don't know if you've been in some of those crazy ones in tall buildings that go like super duper fast up and down. No, thank you. I also get dizzy on those. Surprise, surprise. I'm a little bitch. Yeah. Well, I've heard a lot of these myths, so I'm sure everyone has. But many people, and I've heard this all over the place, but they think when an elevator is falling, the best solution is to jump. However, it is not. Because if you jump as it's free falling, you're likely to go higher than you're meant to. And you're probably going to hit your head at the top of the elevator because that's also falling. You're jumping up. You're going up and not falling quite as fast because you're going up. You're mm-hmm. going to hit your head. It's going to knock you out. It's probably going to be worse than it needed to be. Some people think that lying on the floor of the elevator is the best method of survival. And you would still need to shield your face from you know things falling, any debris from anything breaking. But there is still some issues with this method. If you're laying flat, the impact is absorbed by all of your soft tissues. And this would include your brain and your organs. So it doesn't sound very safe. Mm -hmm. Even if this did help you survive the fall itself, it would likely not protect you from the other hazards of when the elevator falls. Like think about the elevator car itself being destroyed. Mm -hmm. 
So lots of things falling. Also, it's kind of unknown how you would be able to lay flat on the floor as you're falling because you're likely to be jumbled around, right? Like as the thing is falling. Yeah, like you're floating because you're not going to be standing on the floor as it goes up, right? You're going to be like weightless-ish. Yes. So like, how do you stay on the floor? Right. So you need to like figure out a way to strap yourself to the floor. All I'm thinking of is the Disneyland ride, Mm -hmm. the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, right? Because like you're strapped in because you leave your seat Mm -hmm. and you're sitting down in there, you know? So not, not the same, but same premise in a way, right? Yeah, well, but I do wonder that if the reason that Betty survived the crash in her particular instance was because she was likely laying on her back because her back, neck and pelvis were broken. So she wouldn't have been standing up. So I wonder if she was like laying on something that kind of wedged her so that she couldn't move. Mm -hmm. Perhaps like the gurney or what have you was just positioned in there so that it was snug and a series of the way that it was positioned and how she was actually ended up saving her. Those injuries she sustained before then may have saved her life. Right. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Whew. Are you afraid of heights yet, Amanda? Again, like, maybe it's because how you said at the beginning, I'm an indoors kid. I'm not doing crazy things. I've lived in Arizona for a very long time, and I still have not gone to the Grand Canyon. And I really don't have any reason to. Like, I don't want to go. I don't really care. I'm sure it's pretty. There's a lot of other pretty things in the world that's, I don't know. It just doesn't sound appealing to me. So I don't find the things where you could fall very appealing. Am I scared of them? No, but they're not appealing to me. That's fair. Have you ever been trapped in an elevator? I've had one, yeah, malfunction and it like wouldn't open. But by the time we're like, oh gosh, we're stuck in this elevator, like two minutes later, it did open. So not not dramatic enough, I guess. What about you? So when I was a teenager, I think I was actually like 15. I was in Washington, D.C., where they have the Smithsonian Museums. And one of them is the Air and Space Museum, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what you think it is. And I was on an elevator with a guy who I was no longer dating. Did you break up in the elevator? No, we were already broken up. But like, he did not want to be broken up. And so we get on the elevator and he's a teenage boy. So what does he do? He jumps, right? Just to be a little shit. The elevator gets stuck. And it stuck for like, not just like two or three minutes. It stuck for like a half hour. And we like, you know, we pushed the emergency button. And he's like, at one point, he was like trying to tickle me and trying to like make light of it. And I was like, don't you fucking touch me. This is your fault. I mean, I was mad. One of the maddest situations in my life at that point, because I was like, this is your fault. And we actually had to climb up through the top of the elevator into the elevator shaft and climb through the next floor. Like with help or did you guys just decide to do it? No, the fire department came. And but when I was coming up, I'll never forget this. I was coming up out of the elevator and I was very disoriented because I was coming up out of the center of it. So I wasn't quite sure. But so when I'm coming up through the top of it, they didn't say like step to your left, step to your right. I'm just terrified because I'm afraid of heights even then. And I put my foot to the wrong direction and it hung off the car. Oh, no. And they were like, other way. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) and like skittered out. That was one of your nine lives there? One of my nine lives. I mean, if looks could kill, like the daggers I was shooting at this guy, like with my eyes when we got out. And he was like, that wasn't an experience. I was like, don't fucking come near me. (laughs) But also, like less than six months ago, we were in a parking garage and I was taking the elevator to another floor to, I think, put something in the car. And Ben was on the first floor with one of our friends. And it went up part of the way and just stopped. 
And I was in there for a good, like, three minutes because I like, looked at my phone and I, like, timed it. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to worry. So I, like, pushed some buttons and it didn't do anything. And so I called Ben and I was <laughs> and I was like, hey. And he's like, hey. And this is the conversation. Um, Would you mind going over to the elevator immediately right now and going and pushing the button to call it? And he's like, yeah, why? And I'm like, I haven't left the elevator. And he's like, are you stuck in the elevator? And I was like, no, I'm not stuck in the elevator. It's just waiting to be called down because when you push that button, it's going to come down and it's going to open. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm not doing this again. It's not happening. And I'm not going to allow it to even think it's Yeah, happening. I was like, I'm not. I was like, I'm going to manifest the fuck out of this being fucking fine. And so he pushed it. It came down. And I got out and was like, oh, oh. Like, because I was like fending <laughs> off a panic attack. So I was like, oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. And it wasn't that far up. If I climbed out the top of it, I would have been fine. But it was still just like the idea of being trapped again. Like, that was just very jarring. Very, very jarring. I could see that. I, mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be unsettling. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. we clearly want to know, have you been stuck in an elevator? How afraid of heights are you? Am I the only one who's this terrified, who's getting dizzy looking over like a second floor ledge? Yeah, yeah. See, I wish Oliver was scared of heights because he's only seven, but he loves jumping from the highest point he can. No, thank you. No, thank you. And that scares me more than the height itself. And when he was two, we went to a playground. And it was a pretty high playground. And he looked down and I'm like, no, 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 like go down the slide. You know, like we're waiting down the slide to catch him. And he looks down again, starts walking towards the slide. So I go towards the slide to catch him. He turns around, runs for it and just throws himself off. Just happy as can Even be. as a child, I wasn't like a little daredevil. No, he's he's crazy. But yeah, I mean, he was fine. But that's good. I was very stressed. And everyone's looking at me like, what is wrong with her? I'm like, he was going down the slide. Fair. But anyways, we, we want your stories from this. Always. We have our anniversary coming up in October. So if you mm -hmm. head to our website, we would love to hear your story there and maybe say it on our show. Or if you want to record it, we would love to have your voice on our show as well. Yeah. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Ooh. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. <laughs>